visiting with us. My name is Ron Cool, and I am one of the pastors here <clears throat> as well. This is the second Sunday of Lent, and, and last week we started our, our Lenten series in which we're looking at the words that Jesus spoke from the cross. We're calling the series The Last Words of Jesus. The words that Jesus spoke from the cross, and we said last week that, that as Jesus is in this such a terrible, painful, difficult situation, as Jesus is being squeezed by all the powers of death and darkness and sin and, and Satan, all the powers of the brokenness of this world, as everything is coming down on him, there are seven words the Gospels tell us that come out, seven things that Jesus says. And these things really reveal his heart. They tell us who Jesus is. And so we're going to pay attention to these words. We're going to listen to what Jesus is telling us about who he is and about who we are in him. Again, I want to just remind you, and, and we touched on it briefly last week, but, but this is the last words of Jesus until. You can see it a little bigger there. It's the last words of Jesus until. So while we focus on these words and on the death of Jesus, we do so in anticipation of looking at the first words of Jesus after he rises again. And so we, we look forward to that as well. Last week we started with what was uh, generally considered the first word from the cross where Jesus prays. The first thing Jesus does in this difficult situation is he prays. He says, Father, Daddy, forgive them. A word of grace, forgive them for they do not know what they were doing. All right, they do not know what they are doing. The next word is one that Jesus, he speaks first to the Father. Now he's going to speak to one of the people who is crucified next to him, okay? One of the people who is crucified next to him. And let's take a look at that story. All four of the Gospels take the time to tell us, and it's interesting because they don't always all tell us the same things, but all four of the Gospels tell us that Jesus was not the only one crucified on Good Friday. Each one points out that there were two others, and the Greek word that, that Luke uses, and, and we're going to be in Luke this morning, is kakurgas, and, and it's really a doer of bad things. Kaka is bad, right? It's, it's bad, and so a, a kakurgas is somebody who does bad things. Might have been a thief, might have been a, a robber, it might have been uh, the same word is used of, of those who um, robbed the Good Samaritan, or the, the guy on the, on the road for Jerusalem. If you remember the story that Jesus told about the Good Samaritan, they beat him up and they left him to die in the desert. It could also be a word that was used for rebels and terrorists, okay? So, so there were two others who are there. And, and it's interesting as well, because not only do all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell us that there were two others, all four of them tell us that Jesus was in the middle, okay? That Jesus was right between the other two. Luke 23, verse 33 says it this way, one on his right, the other on his left, that there were two who were crucified with him. Matthew 27, 38 says one on his right, and one on his left. Just a little difference. Mark is almost the same as Matthew. Mark 15, verse 27, one on his right and one on his left. John 19, verse 18. Here they crucified Jesus and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. John says it twice. And so they're making a big deal out of this. Jesus was in the middle. Jesus was there in his cross there. Now, Tom Wright is a, is a brilliant biblical scholar, and, and one, of his, one of the things he suggests is that this was not an accident, okay? This was intentional by the enemies of Jesus. And, and what they were trying to do is they were trying to say, this is where Jesus belongs. To those of you who want to say he is a Messiah, to those of you who want to say he is the Savior, to those of you who were throwing down your coats last week and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, let us tell you what he's really like. You can know a person by the company he keeps, right? Well, let me show you the company that Jesus keeps. And they put him among these lowlifes. They're trying not only to kill him, but to shame him. They're trying to humiliate him. They're trying to say, this is who he is. He is a nobody, and he belongs among those 
who are foolish enough to get caught and not strong enough to do anything about it. This is who he is. It was just not an accident that there just happened to be two others who were crucified on that same day. No, this was intentional, and they were trying to shame Jesus. They were trying to humiliate Jesus. They were trying to say, this is where he belongs. But in a wonderful, wonderful, ironic twist, the fact is they were right. This was exactly where Jesus belongs. The fact is, if we had given Jesus a choice, I think he would have said, yes, if I'm going to be crucified, since I'm going to be crucified, let's do it right in the middle of two others. Because you know what? Jesus died, we see, the exact way he lived. In the middle of broken people. In the middle of sinful people. In the middle of kakaguras. Those who do evil. (laughs) Can't get my Greek straight. Anyway, it's in the middle of those who do evil. In the middle of rebels. In the middle of bad people. Jesus spent his entire life there. Jesus spent his entire life in the middle of those kind of people. In the middle of these kind of people. People like you and people like me. He dies the way he lived in the midst of sinners. Again, if you go through the Gospel of Luke, and I'm not going to do all of them, but there are just so many places. Luke tells us that the first disciple that Jesus called was Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector and a cheater. He was kind of a scuzzy guy. He really was before Jesus called him. He was kind of a scuzzy guy. And the first thing Matthew did, if we go back to Luke 5 and read it, the first thing Matthew does is he throws a party. He invites all of his scuzzy friends over, and and he has this party. And and Jesus, you know, if he was smart, Jesus would have said, okay, Matthew, I can understand that you need to say goodbye to them, but I'll just see you tomorrow, okay? So you say your goodbyes. But that's not Jesus. Jesus goes to the party, and he's right there in the middle of it, and he's laughing, and he's joking, and he's probably throwing back a drink or two. Jesus was accused of partying. Jesus is there. And, and, And the religious people are saying, Jesus, that's not where you belong. And Jesus says, no. No, it's right where I belong. Because you see, sick people need doctors. And that's what I came for. I came to be in the midst of sinners. There was the shady lady, a prostitute, a a woman of the night, a woman of ill repute. Again, most of you would probably not want me to spend Tuesday afternoons with prostitutes. Even if I swore, I was just talking, right? I mean, it it just doesn't look good when the pastor of your church spends a lot of time talking to prostitutes. But that's what Jesus did. Spends time with this woman. Everybody knew what she was like. Everybody knew who she was. But there Jesus is. He's talking to her and he's showing her the love of Jesus Christ. His love, the grace of God. He is pouring that into her life. life. And then one day she comes and Jesus is at a pastor's house. And she walks into this pastor's house. And I'm sure that this guy was just going crazy. Because this prostitute walks into his house and, and pours this perfume on the feet of Jesus and washes his feet. They said, Jesus, you don't know who she is. And Jesus says, I know just who she is. I know just who she is. And this is where I belong. In the middle of sinners, shady ladies, prostitutes, tax collectors, cheaters, lepers. Those who are untouchable. In Jesus' day, leprosy was one of the most uh, deadly diseases there was. And so lepers had their own colonies. Lepers had their own places. They were out there, and we stayed away from them because when you touched them, you died. When you got near to them, you, you became unclean, and, and you couldn't go to church, and you didn't get near them. And, and everybody knew you just stayed away from lepers. But again, not Jesus. Jesus just goes up to them, and he not only talks to them, he touches them, and he hugs them, and he loves them. And then in Luke 19... One of the last stories that Luke tells us about Jesus before the cross, there's the story of Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector and a, and a creep, you know? He was just a 
creep. Jesus sees him and says, I want to come to your house. And again, everybody around him was saying, Jesus, you don't understand who this guy is. You don't want to get near him. You don't want to be associated with him. And Jesus says, no, this is right where I need to be. Luke 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. You see, Jesus is right where he wants to be in the middle of sinners and losers. That's who he is. That Jesus has come to spend his life. And so when he's there on the cross, it is no accident it is no accident. Those who did it intended to shame him, but his father in heaven said, no, you've got to understand, this is my son. This is my love. This is my grace, and I'm bringing it to the places that need it the most. Jesus is right where he belongs. The scumbag on his right and a scumbag on his left with a loser on one side and a loser on the other with you on one side and me on the same side or on the other side or whatever it is. But Jesus came to be in the midst of sinners and losers. And the question of this story is, how will they respond to him? The question that we got to think about this morning is, how will they respond to him? And, and as we look at their response, the question is, how will we respond to him? What will we do with Jesus? These criminals, in some ways, were very similar, the two of them. They, they both had done a lot of bad, okay? There's no question that each of them deserves death. They each had come to the end of their ropes. And in fact, as they started, they both insulted Jesus. They both mocked Jesus. Mark tells us this, Mark 15, verse 32. Mark says, those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before. But both of these, they started off the same way as everybody else. These guys were very similar. They were both at the end of their ropes. They were both dying. They both only had hours to live. And at the beginning, they were both, they were both making fun of Jesus. They were both mocking him. They were both saying, we don't need you. But their responses changed. The first one didn't. The first criminal that we're told about, that Luke tells us about, he remains tough. He remains cynical. He remains self-centered. He is not going to be taken in. This is a guy who, who acknowledges his guilt. Again, he's not on the cross saying, this isn't fair, this isn't right. No, he knows that he's getting what he's deserved. But what he has done is he has given up hope. What he has done is he has become completely cynical about the brokenness of this world. And he said, right, it's all a dog-eat-dog world. I mean, he is just somebody who had said it's all about, you know, power and control, and, and whoever has all of that power and control is good. And so this guy, I think he probably could well have been a, a terrorist, and in some ways, he was probably angry at Jesus. If you put him in that situation as a, a kakurgus, as a doer of evil, as a rebel and so on, he would have been somebody who, who might have been very excited about Jesus for a time because Jesus had rallied the crowds. This is probably a guy who wanted to get rid of the Romans, who wanted to throw off that, that, that oppression. He wanted to get rid of them. And Jesus comes along and you say, this guy can do it. This guy can pull it out. And, and, and so when the rubber hits the road, he's so angry because what does Jesus do? He says, Father, forgive them. Jesus goes to this cross. Jesus doesn't fight. Jesus says, put down your swords. I'm going to die. And this guy is like, come on, Jesus. I can't believe it. You had the chance. You had the opportunity. You could have made us great. You could have been great. We could have made a difference. And you're nothing. You know better than anybody else. You're letting the Romans have their way. You're letting things fall apart. And you're no good. And he joins in the mocking. He says, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself. Come on, big guy. You've got all these stories of miracles. 
Supposedly you raised somebody from the dead. You got none left. Your pockets are empty. Pull out some pixie dust. Come on, Jesus, save yourself and us. And this guy's going to die. It's interesting, you know, because so often the negative pictures are of of religious people. This is a a non-religious person in the Gospels, in the Bible, and he's going to die the way he lived, saying, I did it my way, right? It's my life, like Frankie said, I I did it my way. I'm I'm not going to put up with anything else. And he will die in his arrogance and his self-centeredness. The second criminal, the second criminal started off the same way. Somehow as this has gone on, he's been watching Jesus. He, he's seen how, how Jesus has responded to this. And, and something in him changes. As he looks into the eyes of Jesus, he sees things he's never seen before. I mean, if you can imagine that this guy is hours from death, and for the first time in his life, he sees love and grace and compassion. For the first time in his life, he sees someone who is genuinely good, and his heart simply melts. Something inside of him melts. And he starts to speak. He speaks to the other criminal on the cross. He says, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Two things that he says there that are really important for us to notice. The first is this, we deserve death. He says, we're punished justly. I, I think this is maybe for the first time this guy really understands it. I mean, he wouldn't deny his guilt, but, but for him to come face to face with goodness, to come face to face with Jesus, to come face to face with that kind of love, and it was in the, the light of that love that he realized that he was a sinner. It was in the light of lo- that love that he realized how far he had fallen from God's grace. And, and he just says to the other guy, he says, you know, this is what we deserve. This is what we deserve. He breaks and I think that's the first key to responding to Jesus. You know, the biggest question we've got to ask ourselves is, will we allow ourselves to understand that we are broken? Or are we going to keep singing Frankie's song, I did it my way? Are we going to keep saying, I will do this? I thought it was fascinating. Jerry Buss, uh, owner of the Lakers, died this past week. And, and I don't know if he's a good guy or bad. I don't know much about him. But I thought it was interesting because um, Eric made me watch SportsCenter. I would never watch that on my own. Um, but I, I, so I was watching SportsCenter, and they said that the theme song for his memorial service was, I did it my way. I did it my way. I got to tell you, please don't make that the theme song for your funeral. Because you don't want to go into the arms of God. You don't want to go into heaven. You don't want to try to get into heaven. You don't want to deal with Jesus at the point and say, no, I did it my way. Our way is death. Our way is dead. Our way is over. And the words of the thief are, you know what? I'm getting what I deserve. What I deserve, my way leads to punishment. My way leads to death. We deserve that. But he says, this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus is innocent. And somehow he puts those things together and it leads him to do the most important thing he's ever done. And it's this. He makes a request. It's just a few simple words. He turns to Jesus, no explanations, no excuses. He just says, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. 
He was most probably a Jewish person. That word remember, we can sort of think about it as a, as a small word, right? Think of me, right? Hey, remember me. When you're out there, think of me. Remember me. Just call me to mind. That's not what it meant in this context. That's not what he would have said. For this person remembering me, for this thief on the cross, saying to Jesus, this criminal, saying to Jesus, remember me, was to say, save me, Jesus. Do something for me. You see, throughout the Bible, whenever God remembers us, he does something. It's never just, oh, that's right, there's Ron. No, when God remembered Noah, he saved him through the flood. When God remembered his people of Israel in Egypt, then he saved them out of Egypt. Every time God remembers, God acts. And so this, this isn't just kind of a criminal saying, oh, yeah, think of me, Jesus. No, he is saying, Jesus, save me. I put my life in your hands. And, and, and so on that day when everything is set right, at that time when your kingdom comes, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. And now we come to the words of Jesus. The second phrase that Jesus speaks. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. I want to unpack those words for just a couple of moments here. Three things that I think we need to notice about these words. First one isn't, isn't hugely important for the matter at hand, but it just kind of is an interesting one to think about, and that is this, that this is going to happen today. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. This is going to happen today. And this is one of the key passages uh, that convinces me and, and many others. Uh, it, it convinces many of us, and this is what as a church we hold to and so on, is, is that when we die, we immediately go to be with Jesus. We, we love brothers and sisters who disagree on this in Christ. We, we love them and so on. But, but there are some who say, well, no, we go to purgatory for a time of, of, of being cleansed of all of our sins. And some say, no, our souls go to sleep and we just kind of wait until Jesus comes back. And, and, and some talk about limbo and some talk about other things. But what we believe, what we believe here in this place, and, and this is one of the key passages for it, is that when we die that day, we go to be with Jesus. That day, we go to that place. Jesus says to this guy, today you will be with me, Okay. It's not just something in the future. It's not just something. But when this day is done, and so when we think about those loved ones who have passed away, if they are in Christ, when we think about them, what we say is that they are with Jesus now, that they are not just sleeping in their souls and they're not just getting purged in purgatory, but that they belong and are with Jesus. This happens today, today. The second thing we need to notice about this and and unpack about this is that the, the most important thing is being with Jesus. Jesus says, today you will be with me. Today you will be with me. And, and, and I think I, I want to talk about this a little bit because I, I think all of us at one time or another, and we ask it more as we get older, but we ask the question, what is heaven like? If you've lost a loved one, you want to know, what is, what is heaven like? What, what, what does it mean? I mean, the Bible talks about streets of gold. Or do we just kind of float around on clouds? Um, will we play golf in heaven? I mean, that's one of my questions. And, and one of my really important questions is, can you hit a bad shot in heaven? I think you actually can, but that's another matter. But, but you know, we kind of, will we recognize people in heaven? You've wondered that, right? If you've got somebody who's there, will we recognize people in heaven? What is heaven going to be like? What will we be doing? What will we be spending all of our time? You know, it's talking about an, an eternal worship service and so on. And, and Kevin likes that, but I, I'm sorry. Sometimes you've got to do something else, right? And so I kind of like the images that it's a banquet. <laughs> you know, a lot of food. And so, but, you know, we don't, the, the fact is there's, there's a lot we don't know. 
There is a lot we don't know. And, and what the Bible says more than anything else is that we will be with Jesus. The key thing is not first where we are. The key thing is not first of all kind of, you know, what we're doing. The key thing is that we get to spend time face to face with Jesus. We get to spend time with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We get to look at this one who died for us in the face. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? What it's going to be like just to hug him and to have him wrap his arms around you. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 1, verses 23 and 24, he's talking about, about whether he's going to live or die. He might be executed. And the Apostle Paul says this. He says, I'm torn between the two, whether I want to live or whether I want to die. He says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And again, those words, be with Christ. Paul doesn't say, I desire to part and go to heaven. Now, he wanted to go to heaven, all right? He wanted to be in paradise. Don't get me wrong on that. But for Paul, the bigger deal, for Paul, the bigger deal was being with Jesus. And and you get that time and time again. Friends, we don't know exactly what it's going to be like. It's going to be awesome. But the key thing is that we get to be with Jesus. And maybe you've had experiences where you can kind of relate to this. Think of somebody you love, maybe a spouse, maybe a good friend. When you really have that love for that person, you can genuinely say, doesn't matter where we are. As long as I'm with you, it's okay. That's the important thing. The couple's going on their honeymoon. You know, on the one hand, it's like, oh, man, we want to go to Cancun or we want to go to this place, and it's really nice. And that's great if you can do it. But the important thing is to be together. And if you say, well, if we're not going to be together in Cancun, if we're going to be together in northern Michigan, then I don't want to get married, then don't get married. Because you're going to spend a lot more time in not-so-nice places. The key is that you want to be with that person, and that's the way it is with Jesus. If we understand who he is, it's nobody has ever loved you more than he has. Nobody has ever given more for you than he has. And to hear him say, you will be with me today, forever, is the most awesome thing in the world. Friends, heaven is not first of all a place. Heaven is first of all being with Jesus. And that's what this thief is promised. Now, the good news is that we also get to be in a really cool place. <laughs> the good news is that we get better than Cancun, okay? All right, that Jesus says, today you will be with me, what? In paradise, right? In paradise, you will be with me. Now, this word paradise doesn't occur, occur very often in the New Testament because it's actually a Persian word, okay? It's a Persian word that's just transliterated. It's not even translated. It's just they, they took how it sounded and they wrote it in the Greek, okay? So paradise is not really a Greek word first. It's a Persian word, and what it means in Persian is the king's garden. Jesus is saying, today you will be with me in the king's garden. And Adam Hamilton points out that in, in, in this part of the world, it, it's desert, right? The Middle East and Persia, and it's now present-day Iran, right? What do we think about? We think about desert. It's desert. But these kings would build amazing gardens, amazing gardens, and they would have trees, and they would have you know, slaves bring in water, and, and they would have trees, and they would have zoos, they would have animals, they would have all sorts of waterfalls and all this kind of stuff. In fact, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was the Hanging Towers of Babylon, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, right? This is in Persia. This is the King's Garden, right? This is paradise. Again, now, the the film that they used in those days, this is not an actual picture, okay? After 2,500 years, it doesn't work anymore. But this is one way somebody suggested. Another model possibility is that the King's Garden looked like this. Now, 
King Nebuchadnezzar builds that, or or the king of Babylon builds that in the middle of the desert, right? I mean, this is in the middle of the desert, all of this green stuff. Why did he build it? I think this is interesting to know, so we're going to tell you about this, and and I think it'll give you an idea of what we're thinking about. The the story is, and I think it's correct, that he built that because one of his wives, one of the queens, was somebody who was raised in Eastern Europe, okay? Romania, Croatia, she was from there, and she was homesick. She was from an area where there were trees, and there were mountains, and there were waterfalls and all this. Uh, she, he, she was homesick, and so as a good husband, he said, I want to I help her. I want to help her get over. And so he built this place to remind her of it. Now, I, I, I don't know if this is what's in mind, but I want to show you a picture of a place in Croatia. If you're like me, when you hear Croatia, Eastern Europe, you think bombs. You think those things. I'm sorry, but that's what we think. Check this out. This is a real place, friends. It's, what is it? It's Plitvica Jazeera. Now, I asked Daniel and Felicia, you guys have never been there before. Um, Daniel says he wants to go sometime. But this, can you imagine? I, I, I mean, right, don't, when you look at this, and then you look at this, you say, this is where, I think this is what the guy was trying to recreate. This is what the guy was trying to recreate. Can you imagine? That's the king's garden. That's paradise. One more thing, let me show you. Um, today, modern day, day Iran, there's a place called Shazad, my Persian isn't very good, Shazadeh, there we go, Shazadeh, it's the King's Garden Paradise, let me show you some pictures of this, this is modern day uh, Persia, Iran, okay, again, middle of the desert, and there is this place right in it of all the greenery, you can see Again, now this is kind of from inside. Waterfalls, all of this stuff. My favorite picture of the same place at the nighttime. I want to go there, right? And it's in the middle of nothing. It's the middle of the desert, and it's the king's garden. It is paradise. It is this place. And, and, and the fact is, it was the greatest honor to be invited to spend time in the king's garden. It was the greatest honor. And, and, and what, the only thing that could make it better is if the king would go there with you. You and I can't walk into this place right now. The king invites us. The Shah, right? Shahzadeh, there we go. Shahzadeh, Shah, the king's garden. The king, the Shah, would need to invite us, right? The, you know, and, and, and so this is what's going on when Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in the king's garden. Today you will walk with me. And just think about it. This is the most amazing picture, I think, of grace in the entire scriptures. Because this criminal has not been able to do anything. He has not been able to do one good deed for Jesus. He hasn't been able to share his faith. He hasn't been able to give any amount of money. He hasn't been able to teach a Sunday school class. And he's not going to be able to. He's not going to be able to to do something in the future that proves Jesus made a great choice and that he earned it. He's on the cross. He says, Jesus, remember me. And this two-bit, low-life terrorist criminal gets to be in the garden with the king today. That's an amazing thing. That's grace, friends. And that's what Jesus does. This two-bit, low-life criminal gets to be in paradise He gets to go to this place and to be with Jesus and to walk around it with the king. And Jesus is going to love him and he's going to just care for him and he's going to just pour his heart into him. All because he said, Jesus, remember me. The question is, what about us? Like I said, there are two pictures here. Thug one and thug two. Which one are we going to be? Will we stay strong, insist we can face death on our own, do it my way, 
We say, I'll just take whatever's coming my way. It isn't paradise. It isn't being with Jesus. Or will we, like that second thief, simply break down and say, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me. We can have the whole enchilada, friends. Jesus offers us it all. If we will recognize our sin and failure and trust in him, cry out, Jesus, remember us when you come into your kingdom. And he will say to us, today, you will be with me in paradise. And there's nothing better than that. Let's pray together. Father, we want to be with Jesus. We want to be in paradise. But it's so hard for us to die. It's so hard for us not to do it our way. There's something inside of us that says, we know what's best. There's something inside of us that says, I want to take care of this. I want to earn it. I want to do it my way. Father, like that thief on the cross, break us again this morning. Remind us that on our own, we deserve death. But let us see into the eyes of Jesus. Let us see into the eyes of that one who is innocent and so full of love and grace that he says to us that we will be with him today in paradise. And Father, help us to just live the rest of our lives saying thank you and we can't wait. Amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting word of blessing. Once again, there will be some folks from uh, Hillside in the prayer room there to my right, to your left. If you'd like to talk with somebody or pray with somebody, um, you know, maybe you're at a place where you say, you know what, I need to pray that prayer, and you want to come out, stand up here, or you can go talk to somebody there. But uh, we'd love to have you talk with somebody after the service. People of God, now as you go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with each and every one of us. And may we, may we know that life comes from Jesus. Go in his grace. Amen.